2: And we are live with the Monday edition of the standing room Spartans podcast. Welcome in, uh, following a 40 point loss to the Ohio state Buckeyes. One that, uh, shouldn't really surprise us a whole lot, but we are here. We will talk about it. We'll talk about some kind of long-term effects of it. I'm here with Scott as always. And we are joined by the doc TJ Morton himself. How are we doing guys?
0: I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while, but uh, coming up on the holidays here, my schedule has cleared up a little bit, and I'm happy to be joining you guys again.
1: Well, we've been better, Kevin. We uh, are now, I think, one and two against top 15 teams. So, uh, or two and one, two and one. So we lost Above our top 15 perfection. But yeah, I mean, that's all you can ask for, right? So, uh, yeah, no, it was it was not a great game. Uh, we're going to be trying to find some... some glimmers of hope needles in the haystack today, but uh, yeah, it was a rough one.
2: Yeah. And, and look, I, I mean, again, you're, you're looking at an Ohio state team. That's realistically going to be in the college football playoff. They're going to be competing for a national title. Uh, I think them and Alabama are probably the most two, the two most talented teams in the country. You can argue about resumes and you know, who deserves it and all of that. But I, I think if we line these two teams up, that, that's probably going to be your national championship game, in my opinion. Clemson, their their defense just hasn't been there. Clemson's defense hasn't been there this year yet. Notre Dame, I, I think Ian Book's a ticking time bomb, but I, I guess that's a different discussion for a different time, all to say that Ohio State is just a better team than us, and that's okay. We're in year one of a big rebuild. Ohio State is a juggernaut that – Regardless of losing their head coach, regardless of losing three assistant coaches, uh what, seventeen scholarship players were out going on the road after uh, you know, missing their last game? Like it doesn't matter. The the team is just head and shoulders above us, talent-wise. Justin Fields did whatever he wanted pretty much throughout the whole game, even though he didn't get a single good snap the entire game, which I don't know, maybe you guys can help me with this. How does a team like Ohio State not have a center on the roster that can do a shotgun snap like somebody please explain that to me because I was trying to figure out all afternoon
1: I think snapping's got to fall under like putting and kicking and just one of those one of those techniques that you get the yips you know just one of those weird not natural not intuitive kind of things physical motions that if you get in your head that you can't do it, it just gets worse and it spirals. And I think that whoever that center was, I think he was actually their One of their starting guards who moved over, yeah. um, just, you know, got in his own head. And then that first drive, it was more than 50% of his snaps were a handful, uh, no pun intended for Justin Fields. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks like it wouldn't be as hard as they made it look, but, uh, Yeah, I don't know how you don't punish it, though. I mean, that first drive, seeing Justin Fields dropping the ball consistently, fumbling it, I think they had, like, four different broken plays that all went for positive yardage in that drive. So, you know, right from seeing that and seeing that the breaks were not falling early for us, it was uh, was a sign of things to come.
0: Yeah, that um, snapping issue was frustrating to watch, both from a Michigan State fan standpoint and just a general football fan standpoint, because (laughs) you're right. How do you – you're Ohio State, you're the number – three, four team in the country, and you don't have a guy that can get the ball to your quarterback. And then from a Michigan state fan standpoint, like if we got home on one, two, three of those plays, you know, it's a turnover, it's a fumble. And then we get the ball instead of Justin Fields going for 20, 25 yards on some of those plays. So just incredibly frustrating watch from a a couple different perspectives there.
2: Yeah, man, we, we said it during the game. Like you have to not, not even necessarily take advantage of some of those in the terms of like getting a turnover, but even just forcing, uh, you know, tackle at the line of scrimmage or something, but he was picking those things up, running for seven, eight yards, hitting the sticks. And and it was, Oh my God, it was so frustrating, but I don't know, man. I, I don't know where we want to start this. It was ugly. The stats it's almost uglier than, than it looked on the field. Ohio state had 521 yards of offense. Uh, we also had a hundred yards in penalties. So you tack that on over 600 yards that they generated uh, it, and it was at will. Uh, they were doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, throwing, running, didn't matter. And they just got it wh- whenever and however they wanted to. And on the defensive side of the ball for them, it was dominant. We, we just weren't able to establish anything on the ground through the air. Their defensive line was wreaking havoc all day and it was just, what can we say? It was a 40 point loss. It looked like a 40 point loss and uh, we'll see, you know, where we can pick up the pieces and move on to uh, a rivalry game, a trophy game, the land grant (laughs) trophy next week. One of the best trophies in all of college football, but I don't know guys, like it, it was rough. Where do we go from here?
1: Yeah, you know, if if I'm Mel Tucker, obviously he was very frustrated and we'll get into some of the things he said and some of the decisions he made throughout this game. But, you know, if if I'm him, I'm just looking at individual matchups and who, you know, where were there guys that were beating one-on-one situations um, throughout the field? Uh, One one guy that stuck out to me, I guess, if we want to just jump into individuals, was Michael Fletcher. Um, He kind of broke out a little bit last week. He looked really good. Um, And he's kind of been, he's he's a pretty imposing physical force out there. When you see him, he's at 6'6", 250 as a redshirt freshman. He looks the
2: part.
1: He does. He certainly does. And and yesterday he had another two sacks. He was pretty regularly getting around his guy. He seems to have a pretty well-rounded quiver of uh, pass rush moves already. Uh, And given, you know, his age and experience, that's pretty impressive. So, um, you know, if I'm, like I said, if I'm Mel Tucker, if I'm this coaching staff, I'm looking for young guys like that, that you can kind of, you know, stick a pin in the bulletin board and say this is a guy I'm really going to focus on this off season and get him ready to uh to really make a splash next year. So I think there were a few guys around the field who uh, who stuck out to you guys.
0: Um, yeah, I think I think this was a good game um, in terms of the long term development and rebuild of this program because um, one, it it just showed us that we did not belong on the same field as Ohio State at this point in time and. I think it'll be a good experience for this coaching staff to, like you said, identify the talent. I think Fletcher's a guy that is going to be um, a key player for us on the book end of that defensive line um, going forward. And Angelo Gross had a, a pretty okay game this week. Um, he was out of position a couple of times, missed some tackles. But I think overall, considering the, the stage that he was on and the position that he was put in against such a good team, I think he played pretty well. Um, so I think this is going to be a good game for our coaching staff to identify those players and learn a lot from moving forward so that next year we can field a team that looks like they belong in the same field. Um, but I think it does kind of underscore the fact that this is going to be a long rebuild. Um, there's a lot to learn for the coaching staff, for the players, um, just all around implementation of this new system is going to take some time.
2: Yeah. I, the way I'm kind of structuring a lot of this and, and I'll kind of get into it is, you know, we we've played six games. We've had three blowout losses. I mean, Iowa was 49, seven. We got shut out against Indiana and now a 40 point loss against Ohio state. We've played some bad to mediocre football teams, in the big 10 we've played some pretty good teams. And now we've seen how we stack up against the elite team in the conference. And my kind of way I'm structuring a lot of this is like, what, what do we know for sure? Uh, you know, kind of looking ahead and we've seen us, you know, against a lot of different types of competition about uh, against a lot of different play styles against teams that, you know, like to run slow and, and pound you on the ground against teams that like to spread it out through the air. And what do we know for sure? And and yeah, there's a couple things that are positive. TJ, you mentioned Angelo Gross. I, I think that I'm pretty confident that that dude is going to be a starting caliber at at the baseline, a starting caliber, big 10 defensive back for his whole career. If not, you know, the ceiling of an all big 10 type player. I mean, he's shown plenty that, that leads me to believe that he's a star in the making. Uh, Michael Fletcher, I I wouldn't put into that category yet of, of things that I'm sure of, but looks pretty promising. Um, I, I'll kind of go negative here. Some of the things that I know for sure after these six games, and one of them, let's let's just rip the bandaid off. Rocky Lombardi's not a, a Big Ten quarterback. Rocky but Rocky Lombardi's not a Power Five quarterback that's going to bring you to any measurable amount of success. And I think it's it's irresponsible to believe that suddenly he's just going to flip some switch. And there's going to be this, this ceiling that pops out because I, I just, I, for the people who still support Rocky Lombardi and, and I'll start by saying this, I guess, I hope he's okay. Right. He, he, he came off the field. It looked like some sort of head injury. I don't want to speculate, but he he didn't look great. Hopefully everything's okay. Hopefully he's, he's in a good place here this week, but Yeah. I I mean, what do I know for sure? He's not the guy. And again, that's okay. He was given a shot. He was given his chance. He was given plenty of opportunity. Now, again, we we've seen him against mediocre competition. We've seen him against good competition and none of it looked pretty. And like, what's his ceiling? Is he suddenly going to flip some switch? Is his ceiling beating a Northwestern team while throwing for 45%, uh, having a decent day on the ground? Like, is, is that what we're really, you know, hoping for out of the quarterback position. So, you know, we'll get into the Peyton Thorne talk. Look, I don't know if he's the guy, but I think he's done plenty to at least earn a shot at being the guy we've talked about the transfer portal. But again, I I guess the, the broad point here is what do I know for sure? Rocky Lombardi is not the future of this team at the quarterback position. And he shouldn't be the future of, of really any team at the quarterback position at this level.
0: Yeah, I think um, on the other side of that coin, like you said, we'll get into that Peyton Thorne talk. I'll take us there right now. Um, I'm pretty sure that Peyton Thorne is the best quarterback on this roster right now, assuming that he's better than Theo Day, which I think we can assume because otherwise Day would have seen the field by now. Um, But this offense just looks different with him in the game versus Lombardi. He is able to extend plays with his legs and give our receivers a chance to actually get the ball, whether that's um or he's able to to take it for a few yards get a first down it was unfortunate that he fumbled on that fourth and two um but at the same time it showed that like he's able to to put his nose down and and get a couple yards when you need him to and Rocky has showed that as well but um Thorne just came in and he was sharp he was hitting guys putting the ball where it needed to be even on these short bubble screens and intermediate routes that Rocky just can't seem to hit and um so is he the future at quarterback? I don't know. I don't think anyone can say right now. I still think Mel should go after a transfer quarterback in the offseason, but as of right now, I can pretty confidently say that Peyton Thorne is the best quarterback on the roster and should be starting the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, this is a, it's a conversation that I think has, has morphed quite a bit from the beginning of the season to now. I will say, obviously we saw Peyton Thorne a little bit in a couple instances earlier this season and he did not look nearly as well, as, as ready, I'll say as, uh, as he did yesterday um, when he came into the game. I mean, the words that come into my mind are just confidence, composure, understanding, you know, being on the same page with his wide receivers. They were, there were from day one, from game one that, you know, those couple of uh, misunderstandings between Rocky and Jay uh, and Naylor who, The first one was an incompletion. The second one was a pick six against Rutgers. Um, You know, there was in in that in prep time, you know, miscommunications happen, but we've kind of seen that issue with Rocky rear, it's ugly head in multiple games this year. Again, yesterday, there was one with Mosley where Mosley went inside, Rocky went out and it happens because it happens with so many different receivers and the fact that when Peyton Thorne came in, the same things were not happening, it leads me to believe it is Rocky kind of just with an inability to read those complex routes where the receiver and the quarterback need to make the same read at the same time. Rocky's making the wrong reads, and he just seems he takes longer to get rid of the ball. He just doesn't seem to make the right reads on those kinds of plays, and really the only places we've seen him with success this year are passes behind the line of scrimmage to like a swinging back in the backfield or or a screen or over the top of the defense. And in neither of those instances, do you have to read the defense more than just is the guy open, right? On the deep balls, you're just throwing it over the top, you're letting the receiver come in under it. And on the screens, obviously, you're just poking it over there. So that's really concerning for me. I know Peyton Thorne doesn't have just the physical arm talent that Rocky does. And you saw that a little bit yesterday on a couple of deeper throws he tried to make. But if he can hit those drive extending plays, those five to 10 yard routes, just get the ball to the receivers and let them you know, do their work, let them earn the first downs. Um, you know, it, It's going to bode a lot better for this offense as far as extending drives, getting third down conversions, things like that. And again, you add a little bit more athleticism on the ground. Um, like Kevin said, I don't know if we've seen enough to say it's his job but I do think he has earned the right to start and show us what he has if he's QB1. Yeah,
2: I mean, again, like, is he the guy? I don't know, but he certainly at, at least has played to a level that would tell me he he should be starting. Like you saw him come into the game and it just looked so much cleaner. It, it was such a more enjoyable viewing experience. Like he came in, he read the defense, he knew which guy he was he was going to be looking at, drop back quick out of his hands on the numbers. Like it just, everything looked on time on schedule. It, it was just again, like more enjoyable, more comfortable to watch. Like it, for as even in the successful times with Rocky, it never looked easy. It never looked comfortable. It, it was always something, you know, I don't know. It just never looked as easy as Thorne made it look. And again, like, did he play good? out of his mind. Like, no, he had a couple nice plays in there, but it was just, and I, he's a coach's kid. And I know that that's a narrative that gets overblown, but he's a kid who looks like he went in there prepared, re- read the defense, knew which guy was going to be open, knew where he was going to be. Found him at that spot, got the ball out of his hands. And it just, again, it looked night and day. I would love to see him get a full shot. Hey, here's all the practice reps. Here's your, here's your time to prove it and give them a real chance to be the starting quarterback this week. Because if we just keep marching them out there in the second quarter in the third quarter, you're only going to see so much and you're not going to be able to really see the full potential of it. Because when you don't get all of those first team practice reps, when you're not preparing as the starter, and when you're being thrown into a game, when you're already down two or three touchdowns. You're not going to get any really meaningful tape on it, so it looked a lot better. I hope he gets to start go moving forward. You know, we have hopefully two games left. I, I really hope that he gets a chance in those two games to to show what he can do because it, it just looks a lot cleaner. It looks a lot more enjoyable from the fans' experience um, you're, you're looking at this offense and it's just, it's bad. And you're, you can blame the quarterbacks. You can blame the offensive line. You can blame the wide receivers. Even at times, uh, going into this week, we were the third worst. We had the third worst offensive success rate in college football. And basically it's an analytics stat, but more or less it's, are you gaining five, five yards or more on first down? Are you getting 70% of your uh, distance to go on second down? And are you converting third down? So basically all that to say, are you being effective on first down? Are you putting yourself into a good position on second down? And then are you converting on third down third worst in college football? Again, there's a lot of blame that goes around there, but quarterback is obviously the most important position on the field. It's the most important position in sports. And if you don't have that guy, well, you're only going to go so far.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's like you said, there's a lot of blame to go around. I actually, before I give my take on this, I want to throw it over to TJ to talk about the offensive play calling. I know TJ has an opinion on it uh, and I want to let him go first. So TJ, what do you think of Jay Johnson so far?
0: Uh, Early in his tenure at Michigan State, I am not a fan by any stretch of the imagination. I think uh, I think maybe it was you yesterday while we were watching the game, Scott, you said you you're feeling the ghost of Dave Warner around East Lansing right now. And that is how it feels to me. Uh, there's just no aggressive play calling whatsoever. And even early in this game, we were timid play calls on first and second down kind of going back to what Kevin was just saying, we're putting ourselves behind the sticks and we just don't have the talent to to overcome that this year. Uh, I think it was our second drive of the game is when I got particularly upset about. We it was the one where we had that pass interference call and got that one first down of like the first six drives or whatever it was. And I thought that was an opportunity to call a play action and go deep on first down, kind of catch them on their heels, give give them something to think about and maybe you get another penalty or you get a big gain on a on a a pass or something like that. And instead we just call a 2-yard like off-tackle run to Connor Hayward who I think is our worst running back, but that's another issue. Um, and I just think, and then we came back on second down and ran the play action deep and it was obviously incomplete. And then we're on third and eight and we're just behind the sticks again. And it seems like the same story that we've been seeing for the last five, six years, even before this year with the new coaching staff. And it, I'm just worried that we're just going to end up seeing a lot of the same things that we saw over the last several years and that our offense is going to be stale year in and year out again.
1: Yeah, So, so what I'll say, I mean, To an extent, I agree with you. There have been instances where I wanted to see us be more aggressive, especially considering, you know, week one, Mel Tucker comes out and goes for it on fourth down. I don't remember the exact number, but it was like four or five times. You could clearly see he wanted to be aggressive. It did not work out by any stretch in that game. Um, Yesterday, we had actually a little bit of success converting on fourth down, on fourth and short. Uh, But yesterday's game was not, I think, the time to show off our aggressive ability for two reasons. One, Ohio State's defense is kind of built to take the top away from you to shut down the deeper threats and really collapse the entire field down into the scrum, if you will. Their secondary plays well, to, like I said, to take over the top, take away the the deep threat. The linebackers do a good job of containing the running game and, and forcing kind of, the, like I said, a smaller field. So it's tough to be aggressive there. But really what it comes down to for me is does um, I almost said does Dave Warner does Jay Johnson have a quarterback in an offense that he feels is good enough just purely talent wise and and their ability to run his scheme to be aggressive and I think when Peyton Thorne came in it was a little bit different but especially under Rocky Lombardi I don't think he trusts that we have the tools in place to be aggressive and The problem is that means, okay, we're just going to keep the ball on the ground and run and see what we can get because he doesn't trust us to push the ball down the field through the air. And our running game sucks too. So it kind of leaves us in this dead space of, you know, we we can't push the ball down the field through the air. So we're going to keep it on the ground and pound green pound, but we don't have the running game to push it. So then, and, and we've seen it in this game when, when that's the situation and when the defensive scheme takes both those things away, there's nowhere to turn. And if, if you're Jay Johnson, you know, you, you could try to pass more on first and second down, but then you're running into incomplete, incomplete, third and long. Then you're forced to pass again. The defense knows it's coming, and you end up in these awful situations. So it's it's really, I think, just a factor that we the team we have right now and the development of that team is not in a place that we can even look aggressive. Um, except when there's very specific instances where the defensive scheme allows it, like that Michigan game where Don Brown just shoved his head up as you know what. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we'll see next year. Hopefully we'll have more weapons, especially at quarterback and more trust in those weapons to really be aggressive. I agree. It's been frustrating at times. I just don't really think this offense has an identity it can lean on and has an ability to show aggressiveness just because it it typically backfires in our face and it's a tough place to be.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Sorry, Kevin. Um I think that's fair and I was a little encouraged later in the game when Thorne came in and the play calling seemed to change a little bit. We were running bubble screens and these shorter intermediate routes that Thorne can hit that Rocky necessarily can't. Um so I was a little encouraged that things changed a little bit and we were able to to play to the strengths of the quarterback that were in the game, but I I think you're right. I think the personnel just isn't really there to be aggressive. I just we aren't really going to win unless we are aggressive. So I'd rather they just go for it. And maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and you, you keep it close against Ohio state. But um again, it, it just felt like what I've seen for several years and I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't turn out that way for the next couple.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's hard to judge uh, Jay Johnson or judge really the job of a lot of this stuff. And in the first year, I mean, regardless of, you know, making any excuses for COVID or anything, the first year of an offensive coordinator, it's always difficult to put in your offense with guys that you're not recruiting. So it it is hard to say like, you know, does he have the guys he wants to run the, the, the type of offense that he wants to run all of that stuff. So I don't know, it's, it's hard to judge. I've seen some stuff that I liked. He actually throws the ball quite a bit on first down um, something that I I do appreciate uh, relative to what we saw from, from a guy like Dave Warner. Uh, So there's at least some signs of life in that sense, but I don't know that it's hard to make a judgment call for me right now. My one hope, and, and I know Scott and I have talked about this on the podcast before, but my hope is that that Mel Tucker he he likes Jay Johnson. That was his guy, right? And and he was pretty quick to bring him on board to this staff. Uh, the hope is that he's not loyal to a fault in the way that Mark Dantonio was, and that if something's not going right, that he's willing to cut ties quickly, and that he's he's not going to sit around and wait for four or five years before you know the damage is already done and and, and it's too late to kind of put that, put that shit back in the bottle, basically, so to speak. So it's, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to say right now where, where everything's at and and what it looks like. But again, I just hope that if this path continues for another couple years, you know, I can give you the one year kind of excuses, but if, if that path continues where this offense keeps you know, just is unable to put ourselves in good positions. Keeps putting the defense in bad positions. The defense right now is eleventh worst in college football, or has the eleventh worst average starting field position in college football. Which, again, it's obviously an indictment on the offense and the special teams, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, that the defense just continues being in, put in bad spots, game after game, drive after drive. They're they're put in a spot where they have to defend a short field. They're back on the field after a long drive where we throw a pick on the first play. The, the, the punting team goes out there and, and nets like a 10 yard punt because we gave up a big return. It's just constantly that this team, and, and this is another thing that I, since we're talking about the coaches, um, man, it, again, you can go with the COVID excuses. You can go with everything, but there's a lot of first year coaches out there And of course, Mel Tucker was hired later on in the process. I know, but look, man, this is a team right now. We're 94th in the country in penalties per game. We're averaging 6.83 penalties per game. You're we're bottom five in the country in turnover margin. Like when you're looking at how to grade a coaching staff, that's two of the things that always jump out right away. Like are you getting penalized a lot? Are you turning the ball over, and we are doing terrible at both of those things. So I don't know, is that like a long term indictment on this staff? again, probably not, but right now it's it's pretty clear to see, okay, yeah, we don't have a quarterback and all of that, but you can't be getting these penalties game after game after game. We had a hundred yards in penalties today. We can't be turning the ball over game after game after game without really forcing any in return. Like Shakur Brown is our entire defense's worth of turnovers. So I don't know, man, I don't want to indict this coaching staff too early, but there's a lot of pretty damning stats out there and getting blown out by Ohio state. That's excusable. I, I get that, but getting blown out for the third time this year that's rough. One of the things I said going into the season is like the wins and losses. Yeah. Like we would like to see our team win some games, of course, but the biggest thing I want is to be competitive in every game. And that's three games so far out of six, 50% of our games that we were just did not belong on the same field. And it was over by the end of the first quarter.
1: Yeah. And when you look at why we're not competitive and why teams in general become non-competitive, it's it's having an entire unit that you just, that is just ineffective. I mean, when you're in games, the talent can sometimes pull through, like, you know, Ohio state wins a lot of games against good teams because they have the talent to back it up as well. But you look at this Michigan state team, I don't think it's a scheme thing. I think it's just the fact that this offense is just absolutely not there. And it's something that, you know, going into the year, a lot of people were talking about, we only had a month to prepare. Mel Tucker got hired late. Obviously COVID kind of threw a wrench in everything and everything and, and caused a situation where we just did not have enough time to get ready. And on defense, you know, the scheme, you, you kind of learn the basics of a scheme and you can go out there on the field and trust your instincts and trust the defensive scheme to just make your reads. But offense is a little bit more complex than the fact that you have to develop an entire playbook. Uh, there's in my opinion, more moving parts and it's more of a, there's more to instill in the team. And that's what you're seeing here between the lack of talent and the lack of time to prepare. Our offense is just not at all ready to be an effective big Ten offense. And it's led to situations like yesterday and like the other two blowouts we've been in where the offense comes out on the field and they, they're just, they're not an effective group. They can't make anything happen. Um, again, I don't think it's an indictment on the coaching staff per se because of the, the situation we've been in, but you know, we're kind of searching for lightning in a bottle in each of these games with the offense, searching for one, maybe two things that, Oh, Hey, that's working. It's simple. We can trust our players to execute that and it keeps the defense off the field. And I think one of the most frustrating things this year is that at times this defense has looked like it could be a top end big 10 defense. Um, they have the talent in place, they have the playmakers, they have enough experience at key positions to be effective, but they've been on the field just way too much. And it's similar to what happened in 2016, where we had a good defense. The 2016 defense was a top 30 in the country unit, but the offense could hardly get a first down, let alone get on the scoreboard. So the defense was playing 35, 40 plus minutes a game. And in those situations, you're just on the field too much to expect to keep the other team off the scoreboard. And I think that's exactly what's happened in these blowout losses. Our offense just comes on and, you know, before you can say punt, you know, we're we're off the field again. And and the defense looks like it could have been, I'm not going to say elite. I'm not going to say like a special group, but it looks like it could have been a really, really good, solid Big Ten group and the stats would have been there to back it up. But now these scores, I mean, we're like a 93rd in the country in scoring defense. And I, I think that's honestly, even though it's a defensive stat, I think most of that blame falls on the offense. So it's a frustrating year. Um, I'm really excited to see what these coaches can do with a full off season. I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording that, you know, if you're Mel Tucker and you're this staff, you're treating this off season as, as year one, right? You, you finally get to get on a regular off season schedule. You're implementing normal. Hopefully we get a spring game, depending on how this whole COVID thing shakes out and, and you can go through the normal process, the normal development process, and you take kind of the game-to-game pressure off the team, and you can say, okay, guys, we got you know nine, eight, whatever, however many months to just put in the work, trust ourselves, trust our process, and we'll see where we're at when we get there. But I think we do have a good coaching staff in place to do it, and I'm excited to see what they can do with this, this young squad.
0: Yeah, I think um, going into next year is going to be huge in terms of who we bring in, recruiting, um, who I don't want to say is, is forced out, but might transfer um, just what this team is going to look like going into to next season. it's going to be huge. Um, but going back to something Kevin touched on um, the special teams and our average starting field position, I'm starting to get a, a little concerned about our special teams unit. Um, Coglin so has been bad. Yeah. It's been some games. It's been neutral hasn't helped or hurt us, but some games it's been a, a huge detriment and really, put us behind the eight ball in some ways. And Jaden Reed was supposed to come in and be this dynamic player on offense and this great return guy. And I don't, sometimes I don't know what he's doing back there. He's, I know Scott has touched on this a couple of times when we're talking about the games that he's catching kickoffs in the back corner, that if you let it bounce, it's either going out of bounds or going for a touchback. And yesterday he caught one. He just called for a fair catch at like the three yard line in the corner. So, you're getting the ball at the 25 yard line. Anyway, let it bounce, make sure it goes out of bounds or into the end zone and they can't recover it. And it's like, he's letting balls bounce on punt returns for an extra 15, 12, 15 yards, not getting any returns whatsoever. And I'm just, Bryce Beringer had a little better game this week. He didn't have any 13 yard punts, but he's still not really an asset considering we had a guy like Jake Hartberger in the past. And, um, he would pin guy, pin the ball down inside the 20 yard line consistently inside the 10 yard line consistently. And now we have a guy that's like, yeah, he's got a leg. He can boot it when he hits it. Right. But even when he does, it's going into the end zone. Like there's no, there's no real advantage to our special teams right now. And it's starting to get a little concerning.
2: Yeah. That's something I've actually been thinking about quite a bit because I've, I've been a diehard Michigan state fan my whole life. Both of my parents went to Michigan state. My older brother went to Michigan state. I obviously graduated from Michigan state uh, and I'm 26 years old right now. And I've had season tickets for pretty much my whole life and my entire life. I watched good special teams at Michigan state, even in the bad years. So you go back TJ, you mentioned Jake Hartbarger, but you go back. I mean, Mike Sadler, you even go back to Brandon fields, a guy who punted in the NFL for a long time. Uh, and thank God for Matt Coughlin, right? Like if it weren't for him kind of saving this special teams unit by himself with, with solid play at the kicking spot, like, man, it's rough out there, but I I just don't know. And it's, it's funny because this, this will kind of segue us into another thing that, you know, my, my topic of what do we know to be true? Well, (laughs) At the beginning of the year, I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but there was the week one game against Rutgers and Julian Barnett had like three or four plays on special teams where we're like, well, he's not getting on the field on defense, but like, let's give him some time. You know, he's just, he's still young at the corner position. Our corners played pretty decent. So, you know, he'll get out there, but man, he looked good on special teams. He made a couple plays. Well, those plays have, have, kind of disappeared. And then you saw him fumble that kickoff at the end of the, like the one time he got a chance to make a play. Like I guess the general point here is that what do I know for sure? We got a few more kids that are going to be entering the transfer portal. And if I had to bet a month's salary, I would say Julian Barnett's probably going to be one of them. I, I'm actually impressed, I guess is, is one way to put it, but I, I, I'm surprised for sure that he hasn't entered the transfer portal already and that he's stuck it out to this point of the year. I I mean, I guess that's a credit to mental toughness or however you want to put that. But the fact that in a year where you're pretty much given any excuses to, to try to get out of the program, you got a new head coach coming in, you're not getting playing time. You have COVID as a built-in excuse for opting out and he's, he's stuck it out to this point. So I give him a lot of credit, but at the end of the day, I would be shocked if he was back on this team next year. He's going to have opportunities to go elsewhere. The the raw physical ability is there still. So, I don't know. I mean, I mean Julian Barnett is kind of the launching point, but we're certainly going to see a lot more guys that are going to be entering the transfer portal here in the next couple of weeks as as the season winds down. I don't know if you guys have a couple names that you think would stand out as like potential guys, but I know for certain that there will be more players on, on their way out.
1: Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, he's Barnett's the obvious one that kind of jumps off the page, not only because of his physical ability and his lack of playing time, but also the the prospect at his position, you know, we're presumably going to return all three of our starting corners next year. Um, and I know that's a rotation position where you can play more than three guys, but it, you know, a guy like Barnett's going to want to be a top two cornerback at whatever program he's playing in. And he has the physical ability to develop into that. So I don't think he sees himself as a rotational number four going into his junior season next year. Um, so, well, eligibility wise, it's a different story because this year is so strange, but you know, he's, he's at a point in his career where going into his third season of meaningful snaps next year, you expect him to be, to have a niche carved out on his you know, on his defense and, and he hasn't seen that. So is he going to look elsewhere? We don't know where his head's at. We, you know, obviously we're not having the conversations the coaching staff is having or even that he's having with, you know, his inner circle. So who knows where he's at? Who knows what the coaches have told him? But it's just, he's not in a position where a coach can sit there and say, keep your head down. You know, there's opportunity coming. There's going to be openings at your position. I mean, he's not the kind of guy who's going to want to wait till his senior year to to see the field consistently. So he sticks out. Other than that, I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot, I think, right now where you can pin a position group and say this guy is going to look for greener pastures only because there's so many position groups that are still in flux going into next year. I mean, you look at the entire offensive side of the ball, save maybe wide receiver, Um, you're going to have basically an open competition going into next season, quarterback, running back, offensive line, even tight ends. Everybody's going to have a chance to earn their spot next year. So I don't see the same scenario as, as the cornerbacks on the defensive side of the ball, going back again to what we know, I, we know the defensive backs have a wealth of talent to to draw on going into next season. And I think it's very similar to on the defensive line. Um, we haven't necessarily seen the fledgling stars, like a, like an Angelo Gross, you know, Kevin, you mentioned that, but the defensive line unit as a whole, especially the younger guys have looked phenomenal. Jacob Slade, Michael Fletcher, uh, Drew Beasley's a senior, but could come back given the eligibility thing. Um, Deshaun Mallory, Jalen Hunt. I mean, there's just especially a defensive tackle, but throughout that unit, there are guys that are going to be vying for snaps. And thank God it's a rotation position too, because we're going to want to be playing all those guys. There's there's tons of talent there. Uh what we don't know staying on that theme is what the heck are we going to do at linebacker next year? Uh, Presuming, you know, Antoine Simmons, I guess there's a fleeting backdoor chance he could return again given the COVID eligibility. But you know, given where his draft stock's gonna be, second, third round, hopefully you know, he's, I I don't understand why he would come back. And what do we have behind him? Noah Harvey has looked consistently behind the play with regularity. And I don't think he has near the athleticism required to play behind the play and make up for it. And you've seen it. I mean, yesterday there was a play where Justin Fields was rolling out. Noah Harvey was on contain on the outside, on the right side of the offense. And Harvey was like, as Justin Fields started to kind of jog out of the pocket, Harvey was looking the other direction pointing across the field and Justin Fields just jogged by him for a first down. It was just the most frustrating play. Chase Klein has looked has shown in spurts, but again he hasn't made a ton of plays like the, the linebacker position it's such an integral position at Michigan State as a program. I'm I'm really, really concerned about what we're going to do there next year.
2: Again, in the context of what do I know for sure? I, I know that Noah Harvey is not a good football player. Like I, I don't want to, you know, again, like we go back to this where it's like, Hey man, these are kids. They're doing the best they can. Uh, they're not professional athletes. And and I know, but man, I, I just keep waiting for this potential that everybody talks about I talked about it in the off season when everybody was really high on Nova Harvey thinking, you know, this is, this is going to be a player next. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know. Like I didn't see it in his time in 2019, when he got on the field that that people were really singing his praises. Like I I was late to the bandwagon and I just didn't see a a big time linebacker. And I've never seen a player with such bad pursuit angles. And like, I know that seems like a really specific thing, but it's like every single time the offense is running anything to the sideline, he is, he, he's just ends up like chasing them from directly behind them instead of taking a proper angle and, and meeting them on the, and somewhere on the sideline. Like even I, like, I know that the touchdown didn't matter. It was po- it's to the point of the game where it was over. But it, that long touchdown run by Ohio state's backup quarterback, again, you saw Noah Harvey just get completely lost trying to find him and then get completely tur- turned around, trying to just take this awful pursue angle. Like, I don't know if he thinks he runs like a four three and can chase these <laughs> dudes down from behind, but I don't know, man, this dude has no idea what he's doing out there. And that's, you know, if if we're looking like target number one in the transfer portal is a quarterback, target number two, better be a linebacker.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been the most frustrating thing for me is that he's put himself in a position to make plays. And then he makes strange decisions or just doesn't do the right thing to make them. There was another, you mentioned the long run by their backup quarterback, uh, that long run by sermon. We had an opportunity, No Harvey shot through his gap and dove at the at the legs like four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage on that play it could have been a monumental tackle for loss obviously even at that point in the game it was out of reach so it wouldn't have really mattered. but at least it would have been a highlight on his resume and he just did not break down It was an easy sidestep in the backfield and Noah Harvey just blew by him like a missile and ended up like eight yards behind the play. And at that point, the rest of the blocking, you know, Ohio State did what Ohio State does and the dude took it to the house. But it's just so frustrating because, like I said, he puts himself in a position to be there or his coaches put him in that position, the scheme, whatever it is. He has the opportunity to make big plays and pretty consistently fails to do that and again like you said i don't want to be too hard on on these kids because they are kids they're not professionals and they're doing the best they can but it's been a really frustrating position to watch especially because of how vital it is that strong linebacker in the middle of the field so we'll see what they can do in the transfer portal um like you said hopefully and and we got a couple other guys that have have started to you know, we've started to hear rumblings out of the camp, like Cole DeMarzo. And we, we mentioned Devin Hightower and other guys that who, who could step up and we'll see what we have, but, you know, given that they haven't been on the field at all this year, you'd be surprised to see them really, you know, blow up next year and become a star at, at a vital position like that.
0: Yeah. I think, um, kind of touching on what you just said about having some guys in the program, some guys that I've kind of had my eye on since they came in, but haven't really got much of an opportunity. I think. Um, Jess Lord Boateng is a guy who was a pretty highly recruited, um, higher three-star guy who supposedly, um, when I was reading about him a while ago, is just you know, got athleticism out the roof. So I think that that'd be a guy to keep an eye on. I think going into this year, the guy, the older guys with more experience, have just um, far and away got the opportunities to play this season because they they're just more experienced. They're helping Mel implement his system, and the younger guys just what how athletic they might be, what kind of playmakers they might be, they're just not getting the opportunities. But I think going into next year, if we're calling it year one, like we said, I think those younger guys, the more athletic guys, the more dynamic guys, um, are are gonna start to get some more opportunities. So um uh, hightower, I think we'll see a little bit more next year. I think Boateng might get a shot. Um and I know you guys have mentioned this before, possibly even moving Darius Snow up to the linebacker position could be something that gets some consideration um because Henderson is in all likelihood going to be coming back so that strong safety position is locked down for next year and Darius Snow seems like a guy that just has too much talent to keep off the field for too long so I think those are some guys within the program that that might get some looks going into next season
2: yeah Boateng I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that we haven't seen a whole lot of him I thought he was really in a battle for that spot with Chase Klein with Noah Harvey so I, I'm surprised he hasn't been able to get on the field. Like we said, though, that position's a mess. Klein has flashed a little bit, and then you get positions like like yesterday where he's driving dudes into the turf like 15 yards out of bounds. And I don't know, man. They, there's, there's mental lapses. There's physical, you know, just inability. But it's a position group that we're going to need to figure out because, you know, you have like this 4-2-5 defense, which – there's a lot of questions of, can this work in the big 10? A lot of people are running the football. I think it can work, but that linebacker spot, it becomes even more vital where even though you only have two guys on the field, the, the logic would tell you, well, you know, you're only putting two of them out there because they don't really matter as much. Like, no, you're only putting two of them out there. So they better be two damn good players who can really control the middle of that field. So we're going to need to figure that out fast because you know, Scott, you mentioned Antoine Simmons. Like, I think there's a 0.0001% chance that he's back. Like he seems to have a really good relationship with Mel Tucker. And I get that, but man, when you're at, especially at that physical of a position, when you got a chance at a payday, you go take it. I mean, it's similar to running back. Like you, you have to maximize your earning potential in the NFL, you know, as, as quickly as you can. And I think he's built up plenty of tape. Plenty of of uh, experience and opportunities, so I, I just don't know what he would gain from coming back from another year. So you're going to have two spots that, in my opinion, would be wide open for playing time between all the guys on the roster. Anybody you're bringing into the transfer portal, um, we did just get a, a linebacker commitment added to the class. Uh, the name is escaping me right now, but he's he's a three two or two two to three star kid out of Alabama. It doesn't look like necessarily the profile of a you know stud year 1 get him on the field type of guy judging by the other offers he currently has but you know of course you never know dark was denard wasn't a highly re- recruited guy either so uh, a lot of those guys down south they get kind of lost in the shuffle there's a lot of talent down there so hey may- maybe we just found a diamond in the rough but um i don't know that position's a mess yeah
1: and we'll see i mean i'm excited because, like I said, the defense has a great foundation. The DBs should be good, if not great, next year. The defensive line has a, a wealth of talent, um, and and no, I mean, there's no one in the world has had a season where you you know exactly what you have at every position before the season starts. So we're going to have some gaps to fill. We're going to have a lot less gaps to fill than we did um, coming into this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There's just more question marks, you know, than than gaps to fill, and I think we have. A lot of the guys on the roster we need, we just need to figure out how to put it together. I think a full off season, as I said earlier, is going to be really, really important to us. But before we uh, before we get to that, obviously we do have one or two more games going into Penn State. I think, especially the last two weeks, we've seen the coaching staff start to mix in a lot more names, um, just given how this season has kind of panned out. And I think we'll continue to see that against Penn State. Uh, it's a nice kind of one of those mid-level matchups where we're going to be an underdog. I think the initial lines are coming in around two touchdowns, maybe a little bit more, but it's given what we've seen from Penn state this year, it's certainly a game that we should be competitive in. It should not be one of the similar to one of those three blowouts we've had this year. They're not as good as Iowa, Indiana, or Ohio state this year. So we should be able to see kind of what we've got again. And hopefully I really want to see Peyton Thorne get a start. Like we mentioned, Uh, it'll probably be another frustrating game (laughs) because that's kind of been a theme this year, but but uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's it's a game I'm looking forward to. Like I said last week, I'm always happy to, especially this year, be, just be able to watch the Spartans on a football field. And, uh, and and we get a little bit more to watch this year. So hopefully we'll see some more flashes coming into the offseason and, and we'll have some things to be really excited about.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's all, that's all you can really hope for is to show some flashes in the last couple of games and identify some guys that you want to give more reps to in the offseason and early in next season. and hope that they come along and can lock down some of these key positions and then see what we got with the rest of the team
2: and pray Kevin, that Jim Harbaugh a... gets a contract extension.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Every night.
1: Uh, before we get off, we did throw out a little mailbag offer uh, last Ooh. night. I just want to make sure I cover that. Good because call I Scott. Cause I totally forgot about this. I'll take this one. we got a couple questions. We'll start here from Spartan one, eight, one, eight, seven, seven, zero. Loyal at least Twitter user, hopefully a listener as well. Um, Thank you for the question. So we'll start with (laughs) just a cheeky one here. Did Dave Warner change his name to Jay Johnson earlier this year? I don't necessarily think we need to cover that one. We kind of started the show with it, but uh, you know, shout out. We're on the same wavelength there. Uh, Second question here, a little bit more to break down. After watching both quarterbacks play today, How could this offensive staff actually think Rocky was the better fit? I know we talked about quarterbacks a little bit, but not necessarily in this lens. So guys, why didn't the offensive staff see this earlier?
2: I like we, like we kind of talked about the general philosophy of, of playing older players. I mean, I think that that's really what it comes down to is we saw or the coaching staff, I should say saw a guy in Rocky Lombardi who by all accounts is a good leader he's he's a good locker room guy the players like him he's he's you know in control of the team around the weight room around the practice field and they saw a guy who's competitive who's a good leader and you know by those standards was the guy who put us in the best position to win um i guess now that i'm you know kind of thinking about this in in terms of like what we see on the field um I don't know. Like, is, is there something about Thorne's play that would lend itself better to a game than it would on the practice field? Like I, that's just something that just entered my mind really of like, he, he strikes me as a guy who, you know, he reads the defense well, he finds his spots well, and and he gets the ball out quick. And, And those are all things that, that, you know, really lend itself to the game. Whereas on the practice field, he's not able to really showcase his ability to, you know, when the play breaks down to get out of the pocket, to scramble, to make somebody miss in the open field. Um, I, I, I don't know. That's just something that now that we have this question in this context, like, is, is that something that could potentially be a thing?
0: Yeah, I I, I could, I, I could definitely see that. Sorry to interrupt you, Scott. Um, I could definitely see that being the case on the practice field. The thing that I notice about Rocky most is that he just totally folds under any sort of pressure whatsoever. And I think this is all just a thing that's above the shoulders and that in practice, he just know, maybe he just knows he's not going to get hit. Like there might be pressure, but he knows that when those guys get to him, they're going to stop. They're not going to drive him into the ground. So he doesn't, really have to worry all that much about getting hit or getting the ball out and he can just kind of relax and get the ball where it needs to go and thorns elusiveness obviously shows during the game and maybe he like he obviously he's not going to get hit in practice either but i think when it comes down to the game time he just has that skill set that allows him to extend plays and get the ball where it needs to go in the face of pressure whereas Rocky kind of needs there to be no pressure to get the job done and I think that's the the biggest difference that I noticed between the two.
1: Yeah listening to the broadcast yesterday actually Dan Orlovsky made a good point actually I thought Orlovsky was kind of frustrating to listen to yesterday but he did make one good point in that um, back to the pressure some guys when they're under pressure they see the rush you know and their eyes are no longer downfield. Some guys the better quarterbacks, they'll keep their eyes downfield and they go, they feel the rush, but they don't focus on it. You know, they let their legs handle that and they keep their eyes and their arm downfield. And Thorne showed that obviously he broke the pocket and used his legs as well a couple of times, but Thorne had a couple, specifically one third down conversion throw where he had a guy coming from his right guy coming from his left. Um, and they were on top of him. And he slung it Matt Stafford style side click throw um again he may not have the arm talent from a more of a strength perspective um, and a power perspective that rocky does but he does seem to do the little things when he's under pressure keep his eyes downfield and just make plays and again like you guys were both saying when you're in practice coaches are really looking for you to do the right thing do the specific thing you're in a position to practice um and that's a lot easier mentally than in games coaches they just want you to make a play. I mean, obviously they want you to make the right decisions, but they want to see guys making plays. And that's exactly when Thorne's under pressure. He he's starting to show a knack and we'll see if it's consistent, but he's start, starting to show a knack to make plays under pressure. Rocky has a tendency to make plays when he's not under pressure sometimes and, and really struggle when he's under pressure. He s- seems to struggle to know when he needs to use his legs uh, last week, maybe a, a little bit of an outlier there, but he seems to I mean, throughout this game against Ohio State, one thing that I didn't mention earlier, the read option seemed to be wide open for Rocky the entire first half
2: oh, he off the right side no of the offense. Of
1: and he just consistently was throwing his running back into a crashing defense in the, in the scrum. And Thorne comes in and he had a couple long runs, but specifically his touchdown run, he, he made the great throw to Reed to get us in a good position down to the 20 yard line. And then he pulled a read option because they crashed that line again. And he just took it to the house. And that, that run was there for Rocky and he just was not taking it. Because there was one it's a
2: confidence thing. There was one specifically that I know we talked about where it, we were backed up towards our own end zone. And I get it. You're, you're going to lean towards being conservative in that situation, but It was a read option. The DN crashed down the outside linebacker crashed down and everybody was heading it. Like if Rocky pulled that, he could have jogged his way to 15 yards. Like everybody was coming in and he just gave it. They didn't even think about taking it. And yeah, that was extremely frustrating.
1: So, so yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. Thorne just seems to be showing a knack to make plays in-game situations whereas Rocky maybe lends himself better to a practice where he can just show off his physical abilities and quote-unquote do what the coaches are looking for um so we'll, we'll leave that one sorry
2: go ahead there's uh I like I don't know how many people dig too deep into this stuff I'm kind of like a football nerd so this is something that you know maybe a lot of people don't really follow too closely, but if for those, I mean, everybody's probably heard of by this point, like pro football focus, they're big analytic type guys. Um, one of the things that, that is pretty controversial about the way that they evaluate quarterbacks is they put a lot of emphasis on what they do in a clean pocket because the, the way that they the way that they're thinking subscribes is very analytic based. It's very statistical in saying when all of these guys are equal, when they, you know, they all have a a clean pocket because pressure comes in different forms. If we're just evaluating pressure, it could be pressure in your face. It could be pressure from behind that. You don't see all of that kind of stuff. So, so when you're evaluating different quarterbacks, the best way to do it is from a clean pocket because everybody's on a level playing field. And that's something that a lot of people, including myself really disagree with, because look, that that's just not the reality of playing the quarterback position. And I get it. You want to make it a clean statistical analysis, but that's, that's just not football. You're not ever going to be able to put this into a black and white, like, you know, spreadsheet and spit out an answer of who's the better player or who's the better team it's just not the way it goes. That's not the way sports goes. It's not the way football specifically is. So yeah. I mean, when you look at these two guys, Peyton Thorne has shown more of the ability to, to improvise, to, to figure stuff out as pressure comes from different sides and Rocky Lombardi just hasn't been there. So yeah, maybe what did the coaching staff see at practice? Well, they saw Rocky with a consistently clean pocket. And like TJ said, even when somebody was getting home, like he knows in the back of his head that they can't touch him. So when, when the, you know, the action starts flying, when the bullets are flying and, and you have a big 10, 290 pound defensive end crashing in on you and you start to panic what well, we saw, what, what the result is there. Um, the other question is from Luke Baker. It's, it's related. I guess the second part is more interesting, but you know, he, he also asked about the quarterback position and basically, you know, why did why was Rocky in the, in the game? But the second part it's um, who's to blame for, for the personal fouls, individual players or coaches. I don't know if you guys have uh, any thoughts on this. I mean, for me, it's if it was the same player over and over again, I guess you, you would blame the player. Right. But we've seen penalties from all over the place. I brought up that we were like 104th or something in, in penalties per game. I, I think that comes down to the coaches.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's hard to really pinpoint the source. Um, There's a couple personal fouls yesterday that I can remember specifically. There was the roughing the passer early. That was a backbreaker. We were, we were getting Ohio state off the field in their first drive on a third down and Michael Fletcher uh, hit Justin Fields in the head, neck, whatever you want to call it and got a, got a roughing the passer. And then there was obviously the chase Klein, you know, drive the guy to the first row tackle. Um, It's interesting because it, both of those were kind of, I don't know if you can even call this that, but effort penalties, Michael Fletcher was trying to get home. You kind of get lost in that ferocious pass rush and you're just doing everything you can to get to that quarterback and get a hit on him. And he just got a little carried away with his arm. Um, And, and on Chase Klein one, I mean, he was trying to finish the tackle, yes, he should have laid off, certainly should have made a better decision, but it's not like they're getting in fights. It's not like they're getting taunting penalties. You know, they're effort penalties that need to be cleaned up. So it's it's kind of, to me, it's just more of an inexperienced thing. Those guys are both young and inexperienced. Um, you have, on one side, you have coaches preaching, finishing the play, playing hard, playing physical. On the other side, you have them saying, be disciplined, make the right decisions. Those are In those instances, they kind of contradict each other. So I think it's more of just a just a youth and inexperience. I'm glad to see the effort it just needs to be cleaned up it doesn't bother me as much as as other penalties might you had like the Shakur Brown one early in the season when he stood over the guy those are really the useless penalties that you need to avoid these ones they didn't haunt me as much I mean obviously in the flow of the game they were really damaging but from just a perspective of you know is this like a some kind of (sighs) long-term thing to be concerned about. I think they'll clean it up. And it was effort-based um, Whether where the blame falls. I mean, the players at the end of the day have to be the ones making the right decisions. The coaches will correct that I'm sure. Um, but I don't necessarily know if there's a blame one way or another to go around.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think for me, for the the personal fouls specifically, um, I don't really view those ones as too much on coaching. I think the overall Um, picture of the penalties 10 for 100 however many yards or whatever I think that is certainly a bit of an indictment on the coaching staff in terms of the discipline and getting everybody ready to play Um, but for those two personal fouls with Fletcher and Klein specifically I think those are like you said effort plays and and I think what I like most about Fletcher that I've seen so far is his motor. Um, so I think I'm, I'm totally fine with him taking that penalty because he is trying to get home and it was, it was a bang, bang play. It's not like he was coming in way after the play and hitting fields in the head. He was just trying to get his arm up and disrupt the pass. So I think with that one, I'm totally okay with him taking it. And it it is just an effort play. Um, but with the personal files, like I said, I, I think that's on the players themselves, but it'll get cleaned up in time. But the overall picture with the penalties is certainly um, on the coaching staff.
2: Yeah. So uh, I don't know, man, uh, let's uh, like we said, we got two games left here to to see some progress and keep seeing what, what these young guys have in their tool shed, right? Wh- which young guys are going to be continued to put on the field and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what we got here in the last two weeks of the season. I, I would imagine, you know, we're going to get this Penn State game in. There's no really concerns there as as we stand right now, and then whoever we play in that other game. Currently, ten teams of the fourteen in the Big Ten have two wins. So, you know, I I actually pulled it up to try to see, like, all right, so who do we who are we likely to be playing if we line up these divisions? Like, we have no idea. It could be a Nebraska, Minnesota. Um, who knows? So we'll, we'll see what we got. Uh, guys, thank you for joining us, TJ. You're, you're welcome back. Of course, anytime for anybody who missed, we did the the last time TJ was on, it was way back. Um, if, if you want to go back to the office, ignorance, uh, ignorance is bliss and and us just kind of recounting the good Michigan state memories of the past. Uh, we did a, a little, episode where we highlighted our top five games of the marked Antonio era. So that was a bunch of fun, but, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us, TJ Scott, as always guys, any thoughts before we wrap this thing up and get out of here and let people uh, go on with their Mondays?
1: Um, no, I mean, like I said, excited for the opportunity to watch Michigan state a little bit more. Uh, I know it's been an up and down season, but at least it means you never know what to expect going into every Saturday. And I think you'll see the same case this week. We're going to be breaking down a really strange Penn State team this year. Uh, It's going to be probably pretty hard to break them down because they've been, like I said, just a very strange season for them. Um, enjoy the week enjoy having football around enjoy some college basketball if you're into that um, obviously Michigan State's shown a pretty good team so far this year uh, we're playing as we record on Sunday afternoon here we are going to be playing Western Michigan tonight so good luck to the boys there hopefully when you listen to this on Monday we'll have an, we'll be at 5-0 um, but yeah enjoy the week and uh, we'll talk or you'll hear from us again probably on Thursday for the Penn State Breakdown TJ what you got?
0: I, don't, I think I, I said everything I need to say about this team so far. Like I said, I, um, I'm i excited for the, or like you said, I'm excited for the last couple of games here. And hopefully we see some exciting things to build on going into the off season. But um, thank you guys for having me on again. Hopefully I can join you a couple more times before the new year here. And um, great seeing you guys on this Sunday.
2: Yep. Hope everybody has an excellent Monday. Make sure you follow on Twitter. If you don't already at standing room, MSU. Scott is at Spartan Martin 18 TJ has made the wise decision to get off of that toxic website, uh, uh Instagram standing room Spartans. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review all of that stuff. If you haven't thrown a, a review on the Apple podcast, I know there are some of you listening right now, uh, who listen every week who still haven't done it. It, it does really help me out. It takes you like five seconds. So I really would appreciate that. Um, and it, make sure you just ask a question in there, do something fun. We'll read it off on the pod. Um, I, of course I appreciate the simple, like, you know, Hey, great podcast or something, but you know, make it fun. We'll read it out. We'll have some fun with it. Uh, but have yourselves a phenomenal Monday. Like Scott said, we'll see you Thursday. We'll break down this Penn state game. Uh, we'll get into some of the coaching, uh, you know, post-game interviews and that kind of stuff. We'll get into all of that. Have yourselves a Monday, have yourselves a week. Take care, folks.